Welcome to On the Side with Jackie London, a BS-free podcast where we're talking all things food, nutrition, and wellness to help you build healthier habits that stick. As a registered dietitian, author, journalist, and former clinician turned content creator, I've heard and seen it all. Join me each week as I debunk diet myths, explore the latest wellness trends, and answer all of your pressing listener questions. Plus, we'll hear from a guest who will kick off each interview weekly with a soup to nuts rundown and, okay, sometimes analysis of what they're eating, cooking, ordering in, or where they're dining out with tons of delicious ideas, lots of laughs, and plenty of pro tips in between. The one thing I can actually guarantee, I'll serve up tangible, actionable strategies to help you apply the science behind what works to what works best for you. Listeners, welcome back to On the Side with Jackie London. What an episode you are about to hear. I cannot even tell you how mind-blowing the experience was that I just had with today's interviewees, today's guests. Um, My guests today are from a company that's based in South Florida called Painless Pregnancy. And I'm just going to read you the quick little one-liner from their website, which is just says it all right here Um, on the website, painlesspregnancy.com. Our mission is to empower you with the knowledge and skills needed to treat and prevent pain, correct dysfunction, and promote maximum health. We will prepare you physically for delivery and beyond so that you can have the most positive pregnancy experience possible. Now, listeners, if you are hearing me say this and you're about to turn off this episode because you're like, I'm not pregnant or I don't have children, well, I'm just going to say I too am not pregnant and I don't have children, and I still found this to be the most eye-opening interview I've had, and largely because I think there's a lot of questions and a lot of fear that women have around the topic, but don't necessarily know how to verbalize it or ask for the right or the specific help that they need because they don't know that it exists. And when I say they in this, I I really mean me. Like I would never have known that so much of what Luli and Kat spoke about in this interview was, was part of a practice and was part of an overall experience that makes life easier before, during, and after pregnancy. I mean, it was really just so eye-opening. So I really, I would encourage you to stick with it because I just think that no matter where you are on this topic, at no matter what phase of life you're currently in, maybe you're not a woman because you, in fact, Bobby, are a dude, right? Like maybe you're not going to be pregnant anytime soon and therefore this feels irrelevant to you. I still think there's something to get out of this episode. Um, so Kat Vigo and Luli Diaz Arguelles, I hope I didn't butcher that too badly. They're expert women's health physical therapists. They specialize in pregnancy and postpartum at Painless Pregnancy. Kat is actually the founder of Painless Pregnancy. And when the, a couple of the topics that we cover, just to give you a sense of how insightful this interview is, we talked about the difference between something in, in, a, in any healthcare field being considered normal versus what is common right? And that that's a really important distinction, especially in their line of work. Um, we talked about questions to ask your OBGYN, 
red flags to look out for when you're seeking and when you're looking for an OBGYN or any type of physician, honestly, we, we kind of get into that area. We also talk about questions to ask a physical therapist and why seeking perinatal support from a specialized physical therapist is really critical. Um, and I'm certainly convinced of that now. I also, we, I also ask them about the healing process postpartum, and they have a lot of insights there and some of the biggest pregnancy myths and FAQs that Kat and Lily both hear on a daily basis in their practice and in their everyday lives. Uh, turns out <laughs> physical therapists, much like dietitians, are hearing myths all day, every day, and they are fascinating. So I will stop talking. I will let them talk now. And I can't wait to hear what you think of this episode. Please let me know if you think it was helpful, if you think it was useful, if you got something out of it, which I know you will. As always, leave me a wonderful rating, a little warm hug of a rating and a five-star review, of course. And let me know what you think in the comments. You can also reach me anytime on Instagram at Jacqueline London RD. All right, let's get to it. But first, let's get to a quick listener question. All right, you guys, let's take a sec for today's listener question, which came to me via TikTok, where I have basically zero followers, but someone asked me a really awesome question, and I figured I would share that answer here. So I got the question, do you suggest vegan calorie restriction or keto for weight maintenance? Actually, the question was, do you suggest vegan calorie counting keto or intermittent fasting for weight maintenance and general health? Okay, there we go. Weight maintenance, general health, any one of those restrictive diets. So let me just be really super clear because I have answered this in a lot of places and a lot of different ways and with a fuckload of content, but where I have not answered it is very directly and succinctly here on the podcast. My general approach when it comes to general health, well-being, and certainly with weight management, weight maintenance, is that that there is just nothing to be gained from a restrictive practice. And while all of those things sound like totally different things to me, they sound like the same thing, right? Because you have to give something up in order to achieve quote unquote better health when actually finding what better health really looks like for you is extremely nuanced, personalized, individualized, and really depends on both your genetic makeup and your lifestyle and your personal preferences, right? Like the things that you like to eat and do. So that's why I never recommend any specific restrictive eating style for the sake of health. Now, where I have a more nuanced answer than the one that I gave to this lovely woman who asked me this question on TikTok is that that this is also going to depend on finding that balance and finding what's right for you for the long haul with the understanding that that may change over time. And I think that's a really important point, right? Self-care doesn't look the same from one day to the next. And some days it means one thing for you and another day it may, may mean something else. And finding that balance of what really helps you physically, emotionally, and psychologically is always going to be a forever changing, a forever experiment really. But having a framework that helps you know what definitely works for you, like the, the sort of, you know, hard yes. Like for me, I always need to get outside to go for a walk every single day, even in the freezing cold, even in the sweltering heat that just helps me feel good. Right. So like, I know I like walking 
And I know I like walking outside and sometimes I can't always walk outside and I'll find other ways of doing that inside. Right. So like having the sort of fundamentals in a way that's personally defined is really helpful and meaningful for giving you a basis upon which you can build. So when it comes to those more um, restrictive patterns, the, the ultimate thing, what matters the most is your intention going in. If you're going keto because you don't like bread, that's a totally different story from going keto for the sake of your health. Think about that. Come back to me with your follow-up questions, what you want to hear more about. Is there anything that I just said there that you want to deep dive more on? Please reach out to me, leave a rating and a review, or you can reach me on Instagram or TikTok, but I'll start with Instagram at Jacqueline London RD. And on TikTok, I'm just at Jacqueline London. All right. I can't wait to hear what you think of today's episode. So let's get to it. Welcome, Luli and Kat. I'm so excited to, to talk to both of you and and I feel like this is like a long, it's a long awaited, it's a long awaited meeting for us. I feel like there's just so many things we need to hear about. I need to hear, I need to start first by talking to each of you and whoever wants to go first is, is fantastic by me, but by like sort of starting out with a day in the life, what, what is a day, a typical day? And I, I know that it's really annoying when I say that. And it's really annoying when people say that because there's so often for so many of us, like no such thing as a typical day, you know, but tell, tell me about, let's just say you're given Friday, Thursday, perhaps we'll, we'll do that instead. What's it like to be in the world of concierge physical therapies with a focus on women's health? So that's a great question. Totally fine. Essentially, we start our day with a morning hike. There's about 14 of us who are part of the team and we touch base. We do our rounds through, make sure everyone's good to go. And then we drive a fully packed car to multiple locations. So we'll go see maybe two or three moms in the morning. And what that consists of is schlepping out a lot of equipment in and out of the homes, educating moms, doing the therapy so they hands-on work, having them exercise in specific ways balancing the newborn and the dog and the mm. mailman knocking at the door. <laughs> and then we, we wrap it up. We schlep that equipment back into our car and we repeat that until our day is over. And then we do another um, end of day meeting as well. So we kind of huddle back up, understand who needs what, how our moms are doing collectively. If we had any amazing results from the therapy, we share it with the group. And that pretty much sums up our day. Wow. Okay. Okay. Lily. Before, before I jump to you for this, and and obviously, I, this is like a real, I, I'm now realizing just in this moment, I already knew it was going to be such a treat to speak to both of you, but I feel like it's an extra treat to be able to do this where, where I can kind of bounce things off of both of you. But um, mm -hmm. before I get there, I want to go, I want to get to the schlepping <laughs> because I just want to go back to the schlep and talk about what, like what, what type of equipment are we working with? And because I know your, your focus is on prenatal during pregnancy and postnatal, like, are you always seeing a sort of like mix of all of those or even women who are, are not pregnant or don't have children? Are you seeing like how, what's the, what's the kind of makeup of your demographic and what's the equipment that you're bringing in and out of the home that you're doing the schlep? No, that's a great question. So the schlepping, it is, um, <laughs> we take a big massage table. So we have this massage table that, you know, it collapses, it folds down. Um, and it, it is made for pregnant, like pregnancy. So yeah. it has like inserts that you take out so that the moms can be comfortable Amazing. with their belly laying on their stomach. We also take a giant wedge because, you know, sometimes laying on your back when you're pregnant isn't comfortable. So we have big massage table. We have a wedge, we have a cart to pull those mm. things. 
Um, And then we have a giant bag of fun. Like if you imagine Mary Poppins bag that she just keeps pulling things out of it. Like that is what it looks like. Um, (laughs) That's my dream bag. That's my dream bag. (laughs) You just keep, you just keep pulling things out of there. Um, So like we have foam rollers, big birthing balls. Like I was taking some of my son's friends home the other day and they're like, why is there so much stuff in this car? Like I, and I'm like, because this is where I live and this is what I do. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I, it's funny because when I was reading a fun new both before our, before our chat today, I, I had this, it's just funny that you say that because I was like, wow, I wonder how much time I was like, I wonder if it would be a weird question. Like this is my inner monologue. I wonder if it would be a weird question to ask them how much time they spend in the car. So now that you've said that, I feel so much better. I feel like it's out in the open. It's a lot of time yeah. in the car. <laughs> a lot of time in the car. <laughs> a lot. Yeah. And that's like where Kat and I do our meetings. Like we do yeah. a lot of like strategizing in the car. I I, we also listen to like podcasts. So I listen yeah. to a couple of your episodes in the car. Like we do our continuing ed. We fight with our children. Yeah. <laughs> that's where it's. <laughs> that's, that's where it happens. It's <laughs> a huge relief. I feel great about that. Kat, anything you want to add to that also? That was beautifully said. I, I completely <laughs> agree. Our car is our office. Yeah. We have a I Mary Poppins that. bag and yeah, we I love the Mary make Poppins a lot of bag. stuff happen during those drives. Amazing. All right, Luli, let me, let me start with you. And I know you both have really fascinating and unique and so interesting. And I think just generally great for everyone to hear about stories about how you got into physical therapy um, and what led you into this specific line of work. So Luli, do you want to start, start us out? Give us a picture of what brought you here. Yeah. So um, I've always been an active person. I've always liked like the world of medicine and Mm. exercise, stuff like that. I grew up, my dad's a pediatrician. So everybody Mm. in my family is some kind of medical. Um, So I've been driven that way, I think a lot. Just the world of physical therapy, like how the body works, all that's always been really interesting to me. Initially, I thought I was going to do pediatrics. Um, That is when I went into school, the first day of school, when I met Kat, she sat next to me. We were both going to be pediatric therapist and that's what we were going to do. But just like through school and then the birth of my first son, he was actually born while I was in grad school. Pregnancy was beautiful, but the birth was a pretty traumatic experience and there wasn't anybody to help me. Like nobody, like there was just like the doctors didn't know what to do. It was just like kind of shocking. Like I felt very alone, like helpless situation. I just didn't want people to have to go through that. So that's kind of where my drive to serve women and women's health and particularly like pregnant postpartum came from. Do you, and do you mind going into any, sharing some details with us about like what happened and, and what you were, what was communicated to you versus what you would have liked to have been communicated to you? Definitely. Um, And we'll get into more of that, that also later, but I want to start, I want to kind of set the stage for that now. Yeah. I think it was just snowball effect of, of errors. I think with my birth, I didn't educate myself enough on what, how things were supposed to be. I think I was trusting my doctors and just listening to what they said, even though like in certain times, like I was like, "Mm," but I was like, okay, they must know what they're talking about. So this is how it goes. When I went into the hospital, they gave me like Pitocin to speed up my labor because my doctor had to be somewhere at a certain time. And I was just like, okay, I guess that's fine. So they gave me that Pitocin and then it became very, very painful and progressed very quickly. So I asked for an epidural and they gave me an epidural without checking me before. And there's like a window where you're allowed to get an epidural. So like if you're 
too far progressed in your delivery, you're not supposed to get an epidural at that point. But nobody checked me. They gave me the epidural. And then like, I want to say minutes after that, I started feeling very sick and like I had to vomit and like all this stuff. And they're like, oh, you might be transitioning. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, what do you mean transitioning? I just, and when I tell you, I did nothing to educate myself on birth, like zero. I was like, I'm pregnant. The baby's going to be born. It's fine. Um, (laughs) No, but I think that's so normal. Like that, that's like, I, I mean, everything that you're saying, I don't even think, I don't, I wouldn't even say that's not educating yourself. I would say that's just being a woman. Like you, like, you know what I mean? Like you go into these things and you do trust the established experts in the room. What, 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 because I have not been pregnant, what, what is transition? What does that mean? What does transitioning mean? As in you're going into active labor. I'm guessing it's when you're getting ready to push. So like you're at that, like you're fully dilated and now it's like time to push. Okay. So, and a lot of times when that happens, people can feel nauseous. They can start throwing up. Like a lot of things Mm. can happen to your body during that time. I was ready to push, but since they had just given me the epidural, when you get an epidural, like you're fully numb from the waist down and you Mm. just can't feel anything. And the doctors are like, okay, it's time to push, start pushing. And I, didn't know what I was doing. I wasn't pushing effectively. I couldn't feel my legs or, you know, so they had me, I pushed for three hours and they had me in a position, like bringing my knees all the way in towards my chest. So because I was in that position for three hours, it compressed my femoral nerves. The baby got stuck. They used forceps. They used a vacuum to try to get him out. And finally, after three hours, when he was born, he had like birth injuries. Mm. um, And I couldn't walk. I couldn't feel my legs and I couldn't walk for four months after you. Oh my God. Oh my God. It was, and Kat was there because she was in grad school and she came to visit me. So um, you can give like an outside perspective (laughs) of what that looked like too. It was, it was insane. It was such an experience because yeah, like she said, none of us had been pregnant before. We were all, you know, 20 something year olds eager to be doctors of physical therapy. And, oh, this is a fun experience. Luli's going to have a baby today. And to see her go from, like she said, beautiful pregnancy, beyond healthy. I mean, we all ran stadiums the night before. And that's awesome. The event itself was kind of crazy. I remember being in the hallway with her, her parents and probably only like 72 of her closest relatives. (laughs) And um, her dad realized that things had turned. And so we were in the hallway and he just started praying and we were all like, what? just happened. Like we were all partying. And the other thing I remember is one postpartum when she was in her mother baby room, one of our professors came in and we really had to advocate for Luli. Like, Hey, let's get her some physical therapy. And we had to get her a walker. Like we really had to be the voice for her, which is bizarre, Jackie bizarre, because if you're in a hospital and you have any patient, doesn't matter if they come in for back pain or they come in from a heart attack, if they have difficulty moving, they get a physical therapy evaluation. They'll Absolutely. get assistive Absolutely. devices to walk with. For some reason on the mother baby floor, they don't think about it. Listen, we we are all we're all here in great company, which is that to have clinical experience is such an unbelievable gift. And I think about that like honestly in different ways. It shows up in my professional life, like I would say at least once a day. But I feel like like everything I have the chills right now because what what makes me the most enraged twofold. I would first of all I have a big question. Where did this doctor need to be? Where could it have been? Space? Was he going to space? Like what? Like are you if unless you founded a new planet and even then I'd like to say 
I don't care. I care about this planet. So I care about Luli. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, so I, even then, I, even then, okay. But where, but I'd like, I'd love to know where, actually, I wouldn't love to know. Probably make me angrier. Okay. <laughs> yeah. The, none of us want to know. Right, exactly. <laughs> we don't really want to know. We don't really want to know. And the second thing is that it's such a great point. How could you not have PT as part of the interdisciplinary team on the maternal child floor? Like, how is that? I just, it, it feels so disconnected from reality, but also I, I feel like I've experienced this before with other things where you're like, why is that not here? Or why is this not in place when it comes to clinicians being in the right place at the right time for the right patient? It's such a unique story. And obviously, Lily, like your personal experience is completely unique, but I, I just... I'm shocked and also not shocked because I, I do feel like we hear about things like this more than I wish we did, if that makes sense. Definitely. And just moms post-C-section, like nice. C-section moms need, that is major surgery. And I don't know how many moms I've seen in their home, like one to two weeks postpartum. And they're like, I, I just, I can't. I need to get up. I can't get up. Every time I get up, it's so painful. And that can be taught in the hospital. Like we teach patients that have back surgery or have like their gallbladder removed, right. their appendectomies, which are like much, not the back right. surgery, but like the appendectomies and the gallbladders, those are laparoscopic. Right. And physical therapy goes in there and we teach them, Kat and I both worked at hospitals for years. We teach them how to roll out of bed and how to go out of bed. And the fact that it's not standard protocol to have a PT go into a post, like a part of mom. Mm mom's room is just, I mean, it makes my blood boil. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, my blood pressure, I've got to say, I feel like it's up there right now. Do we have any thoughts on why? Why? Like, why is that not part of things? I mean, I've often felt, I've often said this also about nutrition consult. Like, why is that not a part of this standard of care practice? Like we have to see a stage four pressure ulcer, but somebody yes. hasn't eaten in about seven weeks and yet they seem to be getting like glucose from a drip and that's it. And no one's consulted nutrition. Like that's, that's definitely happened before, but why for women who, are who are in the hospital to deliver their babies why do you think that's not part of standard practice is it an insurance thing i mean yeah i mean that's a phenomenal question i'm trying i tried to rack my brain about this many times because i have actually started to make efforts to change hospital policy because that's such a long road you start to dig into that and um, understand how protocols are put in place and so one of the things that I feel, which is difficult to really justify with data, but I think a lot of the needs on mother baby floor mm. are underreported because yeah. they're not assessed. So, you know, you yes. can go in and, and you're going to document on right. certain patients, their meds, their, their, maybe some patients are being weighed or their volume in and out. But when I had my second daughter, she, well, my second child, she was in the NICU and yeah. it was technically day two postpartum. However, I had her at 4 a.m. the day before. Whoa. So I was about 28 hours postpartum. My daughter wow. was a floor away. So probably a, a 10 minute walk. And the nurse said, okay, you can go down and see her now. And I'm like, okay, where's my wheelchair? Like, who's going to push me right. to the NICU? And right. she says, well, well, we really want to encourage you to walk on day two. And I was like, excuse okay. me, <laughs> right. but like, didn't you just see me limp and moan right. to get to the bathroom? That's oh seven God. steps to the bathroom. And she repeated herself. She said, we really want you to walk. So they had a, a nurse's aide come and hold my arm and walk me. And when I tell you, Jackie, like I felt miserable physically 
emotionally completely drained. I didn't have yeah. an ounce of energy to speak up for myself, to say, hey, right. listen, that's great that that's your policy, but assess me. Right. See if I can move my legs, see how I feel in standing, look at my gait pattern. If I'm limping, I don't want to encourage that with an endurance challenge. Like I want to minimize that right. and correct it. So what yeah. so when and this was a nurse's, so this was like a, a PCA kind of, like a patient care assistant. Is that what it, is that what PCA stands for? Now that I'm who, thinking about it? Is yep. this who yeah. was walking? I think you're correct. So there was no assessment before that. The nurse, the RN who was assigned to me that day, no, she did not like say, okay, I, I hear your concern. Let me have you stand up and walk and see what I can help you with. Or kind of like she was repeating protocol. We're going to encourage you to walk. It's day two. First of all, like, I think I, like when I say this now, I, I get to say that outside of the hospital, right? Because when you have someone and you, when, when you're the, and, and to your point of exactly what you said before about being with Luli in, or, or being there for Luli during her delivery, like the idea of, of being the, pa- like when you're the patient, it's so hard, like it, you're thinking about so many things. You're feeling so many things. You're so overwhelmed. Like there's just so much going on for you, but it's very easy for me to sit here, uh, like, you know, from, from my apartment here and be like, God, that makes me crazy. I'm so angry. But like, it's, it's when you're the person actively going through it, these, you're thinking about so many things. Like there's just no, it's almost more overwhelming to think about what it's like to be really just on your own in the hospital versus, and, and I would say that by the way, like, obviously that is exponentially more true. I think, I mean, personally, (laughs) I would imagine, I think that's exponentially more, more the case for, for women who are entering the hospital to deliver their baby. But what I think is more is it's also so true and so common across the board, right? Like it's, it's very hard to be a patient on your own. It's just like a scary thought, right? Cause you have no one there's no real way to advocate for yourself unless you're going in prepared. Absolutely. I completely agree. You have to be beyond prepared and empowered with data or experience or something. And then almost Jackie, in those situations, especially post-birth, you really need that advocate. Like you need your partner or a relative to have the information and know when and how to speak up for you. Because I, I mean, we know this as pelvic floor PTs, you really can't even physically project your voice well when your pelvic floor has just been torn apart by a new baby. Um, It's just a physiological thing that's difficult to do. So truly to have your partner or someone who's physically present to be your voice is so essential. Okay. So, so I want to, so I want to get into this a little bit more. So if we could make a dream list and Luli, we, we lost Luli for a moment, but she's back, she's back and we've got her. And now, and so I'm going to ask you this first and then Kat will go to you, but like what, what would, let's start our dream list. If you're getting ready to deliver, or let's say, let's say you're not even pregnant. Let's just say you're thinking about becoming pregnant and you want to be as pre- you're a person who feels good feeling prepared because i also think and and correct me if i'm wrong and i'd love to actually hear what you both think about this but there there might be such a thing just as this is the case in nutrition also like there's certain things that are like there's okay you're a little over prepared you know what I- <laughs> you know what i mean so let's start with the dream list luli like what are a couple of things that enhance preparedness for um, labor and delivery? Yeah, that is, I love that question. So um, we compare labor a lot to a marathon, 
right? So if you're going to say like, you're just like a regularly active person, let's say, you know, you're, you're in decent health and you want to run a marathon. You're not going to be like, you know what, tomorrow I'm going to go do that. We do this all the time as women. It's labor. Like it is so much work, like physically, mentally, like you need to be ready for it. Starting yourself on a program, whatever it would be like exercising regularly so that you're strong and you have the endurance because we hear people can labor anything from like a couple hours to like a couple days. So, you know, you need to be strong, have that endurance. You need to, you should really get some body work done as well to make sure that your body is in good alignment. So that's something that we look at with our moms. We make sure that their rib cage is in the right position so that they can take nice, full, big breaths in so that when they exhale and push, like they're really maximizing their, their breath and their efforts and, you know, making the most out of it. Then just specific birth training. So that's just like getting your body physically ready. So like you have the endurance and your, your bones are in the right alignment and they have the right mobility too, because in order to give birth, your pelvis has to expand and move and shift in different positions. So you want to make sure that you have the pliability to move in those ways. And then like you want to have the right mindset. So a lot of, we do a lot of birth affirmations and we're just, you know, we're constantly almost like coaching these moms through their birth so that they have the proper mindset in there. And then really getting the pelvic floor working. I know we've all heard about perineal massage, but it's so much deeper than that. Like we always talk about that because that is the place where you're more likely to tear. What happens with the perineum is like all the muscles from your pelvic floor, that's like kind of where they meet up and attach, where you're going to break down. But you want to make sure that we're really massaging the whole pelvic floor muscle. So you're not only just massaging that one little area, but you're getting into the deeper muscles and making sure they can lengthen and open and really get out of the way. I do have to say that was beautiful. And I don't know much about this. And yet I think that was, that was very comprehensive. Okay. Anything else you would want to add, Kat? Yeah, I mean, I would I would just emphasize that we really do go through mind, body, and soul. Birth is a very spiritual experience, especially for a lot of our moms that we work with. While we do a lot of hands-on work, like she said, the bones and the soft tissues and getting them to be flexible, strong, energetic, and um, hyped up for the event, we do want to acknowledge, you know, you're becoming a mom. If they're like we believe if there's a psychological barrier to them being mentally, emotionally, spiritually ready to accept that next phase, you hold that baby in. <laughs> like, there's, yeah. and there's that's interesting. So that's much. such an interesting point. I, yeah, I'd love to hear more about that. Yeah. So we've been trained with one of our mentors is Lynn Schulte. She's the founder of the Institute for Birth Healing. And she taught us a lot about energetic work. So this is the added layer on top of all of the amazing PT things. And it really can go for any type of physical event. It can be an injury. It can be a trauma. It can even be something that you simply witnessed, but your tissues have memory and your tissues have intelligence. So when those tissues are being given a signal like, hey, we're, we're not in a safe environment, what happens? Like, you know this, Jackie, right? We fight, we, f we might freeze, we might run away. And so like the whole system responds, right? So let's say, for example, if you had a car accident at a certain corner, every time you drive around the corner, you might notice your shoulders come up, you might notice your neck tense, you might notice you're gripping the steering wheel harder. So there's a lot of components to our tissues that we might not realize they're behaving in a certain way. Does right. that make sense? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. It is such a good point. First of all, I I think there's there's something that you said in there that I also think is a huge is a hugely underrated thing and I'm sure I'm sure you both probably got a similar training, right? Like is that when you went through and I'm having a full-blown flashback to anatomy and physiology, like to learning about some of the basics about fight or flight. That's how it was taught, fight or flight. Where's the freeze? Because I yep. personally freeze. Yeah. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> just, what happened to freeze? Yeah. Like what's going on? Why don't we, like, why isn't that covered in greater detail? I just feel like that's the one missing link from so much of the trade, like is, is not fully diving deeper into that one because how many of us, especially women, right? Feel the freeze more than, yep. more than fight or flight, right? I agree. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting. You said that too, because we're actually taught to look for what's called the common birthing pattern in the pelvic bones. And this is a pretty straightforward position that the bones go into in order to allow the baby to exit. They move dramatically. Postpartum, they should go back to their original resting position. When they don't, when we meet a mom who's say two to four weeks postpartum and her sit bones are still very far apart, her tailbone is way away from her pubic bone or her sacrum is very twisted. Any of these things that we know how to look for these little nuances in the bones, then we know, okay, there's some part of the body, some part of this woman that's either frozen in that labor or there's a fear, there's a belief stuck in that pelvis and we need to resolve it. Maybe we need to come back. We need to visit that that labor experience. We take them through a, a mind-body exercise. We get them to connect with that space, understand what the hold is, what the freeze is all about. And then we see those tissues melt back to where they should be. It's really cool. This is so, so interesting. Wow. I feel like I'm already feel a little bit like I'm going to have a hard time letting either of you go. I just want to say that. <laughs> I just want to say that. Okay. Okay. So let, so I want to get into, I want to actually get into this a little bit more because I just think this is, first of all, this is beyond helpful. Second of all, I think it's a testament to the fact that you, that painless pregnancy exists and that you both are here doing the work that you're doing and that your, your team is as well. I just think like the fact that this that everything that you just said feels completely new to me is right there as a problem. You know what I mean? Like it, it's, that shouldn't be new to me, right? Like I, I'm a woman, I've worked in healthcare, right? Like there's things about that that feel like almost a little bit shocking. So let's go, let's go sort of like one by one with the sort of overview that you gave Luli, like you went into the, the mindset, the sort of structural, like the kind of muscle, the exercises that, that, someone can do. Let's kind of like go through each of those and maybe dive in a little bit deeper in what exactly your sort of like session might be with someone prenatal. So we always start when we see a mom, a pregnant mom, also depending like where they are in their pregnancy, Mm. it shifts. Right. Uh, But let's just assume this is a mom like in her third trimester and we're doing birth prep, like those sessions. So we always start uh, looking at their posture to see like where their alignment is when we walk into their house. And, you know, we just put our hands on their shoulders and we're just kind of feeling like for muscle tension, kind of how everything is sitting. And we just 
kind of bring our hands down their body, just feeling like where their ribs are in space, their pelvis, all that. And then uh, we'll have them do a couple of different movements, see how they're feeling, just kind of warm up the body a little bit. Depending on what they feel, we'll just kind of move over to, we'll get them laying on their backs and we start doing some soft tissue work. We always start uh, head and neck and we're releasing like any tension in their neck. We get up into those muscles, like right at the base of your skull that are always achy. Um, and we release those. Uh, we work a lot with their jaw. So your jaw is really- I going to ask you that. Okay. Yeah. It's like, it's just this weird connection yeah. <laughs> in our body. Usually whatever's happening on your jaw reflects on your pelvic floor. We want to make sure that their jaw is nice and rela- relaxed. So we do a lot of work there. And then we just kind of work our way down the body. And just focusing on the different, any areas where we might find a little bit of tension or restriction, we just want to kind of work into that and try to release it, whether they need like an emotional release or physical release, you know, we're just kind of, and we're narrating as we go. So, you know, it's like this, and now we're going to work on this. And the reason we're doing this is, you know, so we're doing all that. And then we'll have them do exercises along the way. So a little bit of core activation, core strengthening, we'll work their shoulders, their neck, and then usually we will, you know, kind of have them lay on their sides, on their backs, a bunch of different positions as we're working with their body. And then we do pelvic floor work. We will have them, do you want me to go into details what that would look like? Please. More This, this is a podcast. We welcome the details on this podcast. We love detail. Yes. And by we, I mean me and, and my listeners, I listeners, you, I know you love detail too. Okay. Carry on. (laughs) So we'll have them um, go and empty their bladder and then come back to us. And they usually come with a towel wrapped around their waist, open to the back, and they'll sit on the table, um, or they'll lay back on the table. And then um, we always have gloves on. So then we do some internal work of the pelvic floor. So we start by releasing all the muscles that I talked about earlier. So we'll start with the perineum, and then we go into the deeper muscles, and we just kind of like relax them all, stretch them out, like you would do with any other muscle in your body. Right, right. And then we go over pushing strategies and pushing positions, which for me is such a huge thing, probably because my experience, we go over what their birth preferences are. Are, Do you think you're going to be getting an epidural? Do you want to try to not get an epidural? You know, and based on what they tell us, that's where like the session would lead us. So, you know, we go over if they are going to get an epidural. Okay. If you have your legs in this position and we'll get their partners involved, have the partner, you know, hold their leg and we'll be like, okay, how does this feel? is this painful? Okay. Then you want to avoid this position. Maybe try here. And we put them in little alternate positions to see what feels best for them because they won't be able to feel their legs. So they won't be able to tell anybody like, Oh, this hurts. And then we teach them how to do effective pushing. And we go over a bunch of different strategies. Um, there's a lot of different strategies to push and there's Mm no necessarily right way. It's whatever works best for them and feels best for them. So we go over all that. And then we always close with some, you know, feel good movement and, you know, massage. It's kind of like a, I don't know, mix between therapy and like a spa thing going. (laughs) Yeah. Sounds amazing. I'm like, like, I've got to say like, okay. Yeah. No, this sounds pretty amazing. Okay. So I want to go back to, to one thing that you mentioned. So you mentioned the sort of like, I'm, I'm almost imagining like an infographic, like, a, a okay. Are you having an epidural? Yes or no. And then, and then that that's sort of where the division begins, right? Like as in diff, different sort of approaches for 
different people or different based on your choices. When you are, that's, it's such an interesting point. I just kind of want to reiterate that for a second about what, what you said about how you're not going to be able to feel your legs in that moment. So you want to know what it feels like when you can feel your legs so that you can tell if, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Luli, but like, in other words, so that you know, if this will be something that could cause any type of small, let's say small type of damage to larger types of damage or any type of discomfort postpartum because of the position that you were in that is maybe just not right for your body, for the way that you're structurally aligned. Wow. No one talks about this. Okay. I just go back to my original. Why is no one talking about this? And Jackie too, like to that point that you brought up, that is very reasonable to think that exactly that is what caused Luli to have such extensive uh, damage to her femoral nerve during delivery. Like she could have had rest from the pushing position. We could have modified the pushing position. She could have not started pushing that early. Just so many things that we could have done, which hindsight, you're like, okay, yeah, no big deal. Maybe next time I'll put her legs down. But it was a big deal because for four months, her mobility was drastically altered and she had a, a brand new baby and she had finals to do. Like it was not a nothing for months. My teachers were just like, you know what? <laughs> like, I mean, I, I, I think they, they, they helped me out a little bit there. <laughs> you're t- you're, you had professors that were like, you know what? Maybe we push this. Like may- maybe we could do this after the semester end. Wow. That's un. That is unbelievable. So, okay, then now I feel like I'm all over the place because I have so many questions for you guys. But, but Lily, just one more question on on that, on your experience there. When, in, during the four months, like during that period, what, where were where did you sort of begin the, uh, okay, I need to get a PT involved and also maybe some other things and maybe I need to call a lawyer, I hope. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like where, what, like what kind of steps did you take in the recovery process? So I was so lucky to be in PT school and be surrounded by like the, how many, I think there was like 60 or 50 of us in school. And Kat wasn't joking. Our PT class, like everybody skipped the rest of the day and came to the hospital when I was giving birth. Like we were a very close group. So it was really nice. So I really was surrounded by a bunch of people that were like helping and advocating. So I remember sitting one day on my couch with Kat and like, we're just like, just trying to like wiggle my toes and like kick your leg. Just like trying to get that sensory integration back. Like I really relied on my friends at that point who were about to be physical therapists get me back because I remember I went to my six week checkup like with a walker, like walking with a walker to the six week checkup. And I got on the table and the doctor's like, oh, you, and I had a really bad tear too. Like I didn't even get in because of the forceps in the vacuum. Like it was like beyond fourth degree. Um, and he's like, you healed so great. Get back at it. And I was like, I'm on a walk. Like, are you kidding me? And like, that was like the only like advice I got from my medical team. And there are a lot of OBs who are way better. Like this guy was beyond negligent, but that's an extreme example. But most moms, like they, that's what we hear. They go for their six week checkup and all they hear is, what do you want to do for contraception? And like, you're free to do everything. And they're like, they're like, blow almost like I remember coming home and like lying to my husband I was like no can't not cleared I need more time the doctor said more time when okay so when when you the other question that I had that I had for you on this because I definitely I think that is also such an important point about how 
women will go, this is such a common thing to hear about. This is actually, I would say more common to, to at least hear about, right? Is you go in at six weeks and you're, you're cleared for a bunch of things, but you don't feel like you, like you necessarily should be cleared or that cleared is fine, but it's not the right almost word, right? Like it's almost like, okay, so you mean I'm healing, <laughs> right? Like that it's, that might be a little bit closer to accurate. Like I'm healing, but what, but what do I now what, right? In, if someone, if someone has that experience, what would be your first sort of piece of advice, like where to start. And, and also I think probably the first piece of advice, if I may just, uh, you know, kind of think this out loud for you <laughs> is that, is that give the reminder about how normal that is. Yeah. So, so where would you, what would be your kind of, all right, so this is where you got, you went for your six week checkup. You want to, you want your, you've been quote unquote cleared, now what? So this is a huge thing for us that we try to preach from the mountaintops because first I would say our advice would start even before that. Um, we have a lot of women who think we cannot start working with them until the six weeks or until they're cleared, but we know so well that that month and a half is insanely stressful, minimal sleep. And the advice that they're given is you, you can't exercise, but we don't really know what that looks like. When you get up from the bed, you're doing a squat. Like, is that, is that not okay? Or, or can I do five more? And where does that leave me? So we definitely advise them seeing their, their obstetric and pelvic floor physical therapist within that first two weeks. And ACOG, our governing body, agrees wholeheartedly. They get an expert in there within the first two weeks postpartum. Ideally, someone that's been working with us will have had two or three sessions of physical therapy before that six-week mark. So they've already gotten their bones out of the common birthing pattern, or they've started to reintroduce touch and sensation to their C-section scar. They've started to recruit their pelvic floor and their abdominal wall. They're conscious of their posture, even though it's still a battle, but they're thinking about it while they nurse, while they carry the baby and bounce them in the middle of the night for hours. And then by the time they get to that six-week mark, they're starting to feel like everything is coming together. And that's really all we expect at that point is for them to begin to recognize the the input that their deep core can give them. That's like our basic foundation for them at that point. And our advice for those moms at that six week is be so patient and graceful with your body because it has gone through so much. It is in a very vulnerable place. It is serving wholeheartedly out into the world and it needs to be poured back into. So those moms, one, you're capable and strong right where you're at but allow that time and natural healing to occur with your birth team. Right. And just because you're cleared doesn't mean like you have to, you know, give yourself like, like Kat said, grace. And when you're ready and like open, like communication is so important, like communication with your partner, with your healthcare practitioner. A lot of us are, I think, fearful to tell our doctors like, no, I'm not ready. You know, like we feel like, can't tell them that. And like, so having that open line of communication, I think is so, so important. And you just progress when you're ready. The other thing we tell our moms is it took you nine full months, 40 weeks to be where you're at. Then you had this massive event. 
give yourself that time back. It's okay to take a year. It's okay. Like healing isn't linear either. And you know this too, like good days, there's bad days. So one day you might be killing it. Like you didn't like have any leaking when you sneeze. And then the next day, like you're leaking nonsense and that's okay. Like it's, we just want to see like a linear progression of improvement. Wow. That's such a good point. I can't help but think about, about everything that both of you just shared right here is, is fascinating from also the standpoint of what is generally considered best practice in other areas of medicine. So I, I mean, I'm thinking about like, let's say a hip replacement or a knee replacement for, for typically older adults, but often it can be for many different other reasons. And yet you're, you have PT in the next day after your surgery. I mean, it's day, it's literally post-op day one, right? Yeah. And yet the, like, again, I, I bring it back to how disturbing it is that I wouldn't have even like it, without this conversation, like I would not perhaps in the future know to ask to know that that's something that you need to advocate for. You want to at least know what you want to at least meet the physical therapist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's yes. really, really interesting. That's such a, and such a, an important point that you're really like, you can start at any time. You don't have to wait to start because that's just not how muscles work. So this is something that I, that I think, I think would be a kind of perfect transition for us that I'd love to, I'd love to get each of your perspective on, given what both of you do every day, right? Given, given your line of work, do you think that there are, are there a few questions that would help women to prepare themselves better to ask their OBGYN? Because I, I often like, and I, we had, I had someone on the podcast that was the primary care physician, a wonderful, wonderful primary care physician. And, and the, the most amazing thing was to hear her kind of share, like, this is, this is what to ask your own healthcare provider. But I wonder in this case, I, I actually, and I'm going to change the question a little bit. I, I wonder if you both would answer this, maybe questions to ask me, the physical therapist, but also questions that actually would give a lot more insight and understanding for, for women to better prepare themselves when they see their OBGYN. Some of the things that I encourage my patients to discuss with their OB, because most of them are mainly focused on that. That big event, the birth, I want them to be on the same page. Do you have reasons for inducing? Do you have a C-section rate that you don't mind sharing with me? What are your personal reasons for recommending a C-section? Or even something you can get more specific, like how long would I be permitted to labor? So I guess you could ask, is there a straight up just a time frame, you know, from when my water broke or to when I was 10 centimeters to where you're going to call it and take me to a C-section? Luli, did you have anything else to add about that? Yeah, I would also add, am I allowed to birth in other positions besides my back? This is especially if you're yes, in a hospital. Love that. Birthing at home. Some doctors won't. They'll be like, no, this is how you give birth. Would that be red? flag would that be <laughs> I, I mean I, I, yeah high c-section rate yeah. not allowed to birth in other positions those are kind of like red or just somebody that's not willing to answer these questions you no know, if they're like oh you don't, don't need to worry about that don't worry you're gonna be fine and you get brushed off that would be my biggest red flag Ooh, the brush off the the yeah. physician brush off is is and we'll 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 get to this in a moment, but that I feel like is you want real answers to these questions, and even if it's someone who will ultimately, and I would imagine most physicians, most OBGYNs at least, would would inevitably come back to as the last sentence in answering that question. It's always going to be about you, like what what is right for you in in that moment when we get there. Well, you know, we can decide that together, or, or however that might be phrased better, more, more articulately than I just did. But but the idea that you're not 
I don't want that to be the first sentence, right? Like that's the brush off. If that's your first sentence, <laughs> that sounds like a brush off. What about when it comes to what questions to ask a physical therapist? What questions to like what are the what are some of the best questions that you that you've been asked or that you can or that you would like your patients to ask you more? I would love for people to ask cuz a lot of um, places they offer pelvic floor physical therapy and surprisingly enough it is not done by a physical therapist. Oh my god. Uh, oh my god. How is that? <laughs> what is What is that? Right? What, who's How doing that? it? That's a great question. The first question if you're I mean if you're offered pelvic floor therapy at your at wherever you are that is First one, that's amazing because most people aren't. So I would definitely ask for referral to see a pelvic floor therapist. Um, and you don't even need a referral from your doctor to see a pelvic floor therapist in Florida. You can come see us like without a referral. You don't need one. First contact. So I would ask like, who's doing my therapy and what does the therapy look like? They tell you, we put a probe in you and you just sit there and contract. Run. Because Kegels aren't the all and all. And you're, you need somebody that's going to look at your body, figure out what your dysfunction is and treat it from its source. See, when we treat our patients, we take a whole body approach and we've learned that you can't heal your core or your pelvic floor, any really part of your body without treating the whole person. So those are things I'd ask. Who's doing the therapy? What does it look like? And are you treating my whole body? Oh, that was so good. Oh, I love a good top three. Kat, do you want to add anything to that? I would say, Jackie, if you and your listeners deserve to know one thing from this talk, it is that pelvic floor therapy does not equal Kegels. This is not all we do. And when I can tell you Kegels is about 5% of our hour that we spend with these women. Like it is head to toe, mind, body, soul, bones, muscles, soft tissue, them connecting with their source, their muscles, their everything, re-engaging with body parts that they don't ever talk to. Like this just squeeze around my finger is a very short part of it. Very short. And sometimes, sometimes Jackie, we don't even want them to Kegel. Sometimes they just need to, what we call downtrain or relax that muscle group for a good bit, like maybe a whole week or two before we start to really want them to recruit because they're so dang tight. Why is no one talking about that? Is that because, I mean, I have a guess, right? Like, which is that it's this, it's the sort of like one thing that you can, that you can conceive of doing that you've heard of enough, I guess, like that you need to do Kegels in order to regain health. But like, that's really only one tiny piece of it. Why don't we know that, you guys? <laughs> Such a tiny piece. It kind of goes back to our, our marathon example of like, if you think you're going to run a marathon and all you do is stretch your calves, like, <laughs> excuse me, your calves is like 5% of what's going to participate in that marathon. That analogy is perfect. That is perfect, right? Because that says it all. It's just a very small part of what's affected. Your whole body is affected, right? That's a, it's so well said. From each of you, I would love to hear biggest myths that you hear about either from patients, from women, or that you have heard in, let's say, because the first thing that came into my mind when when you said Kegels is Cosmo uh, of like the 1990s, of like, of like stealing, of like me, like looking at a Cosmo from like my mom or like my grandma, even like someone had a Cosmo and I would like look at it and read and I'd be like, I don't understand what that is, right? But it's like the one word that we all seem to know, that, we, <laughs> that women everywhere seem to know. What are like some of the biggest myths that come up for, for each of you. Let's start with you, Luli. So that 
because you had a baby, you are going to pee your pants. It's normal and it's to be expected. Like that one, it just drives me nuts. So that's not true. That's completely false. Any degree of incontinence is not normal. And like people confuse common and normal. Like a common cold is a common cold, but like it's not normal. Like you're sick. Right. So if you're incontinent, like just because you had a baby, like that is not normal. Like that is a problem and there is a solution. Wow. Wait, first of all, not only does that blow my mind about that specific myth, but I also think that's such a great point about a common cold. <laughs> it's true. Yes. You, caught, you caught a cold. Go take it easy. All right. It's such a good one. Okay, what else? Oh my God, I'm loving this so much. That if you have a C-section, you will not have pelvic floor dysfunction because you didn't have a vaginal delivery. Wow, so that's also not true. Mm -hmm. Because you can, regardless, you've just carried around a child for, right. Yeah, you have all the weight and the body changes and your pelvic bones still shift to make room for the baby. And now like you're essentially like, people typically gain anywhere between like 20 and 40 pounds. And like the majority of that is in your like a abdomen. So there's this huge strain on your pelvic floor is common, not normal to have pelvic floor dysfunction, even if you don't have a vaginal birth. Okay. Any others, any, really keep them coming. Keep them. I'm, this is amazing. Okay. Keep them coming. (laughs) So we treat a condition called diastasis recti or the abdominal, your six pack muscles split down the middle. And a lot of women are told, Oh, you can't rehab that because you'll need surgery. Or they'll even come up with details like, well, you can rehab it if it's only four fingers apart. But once it's more than that, you'll need surgery. And we have successfully rehabbed women who have eight finger separation, six finger separation, women who have mega separation, and then they get pregnant again. They can still recover that muscular wall on the front of their bodies with rehab, with very conservative, effective, Wow, that is huge. And yet again, I feel like, like beyond the fact that, okay, of course, I'm not even going to say what I was going to say, but you know, (laughs) because you know, you know what I was going to say, but, uh, but I, what I think (laughs) is unreal, right. No one's talking about it, but what is unreal about that one too, is there, everyone wants to give a medical intervention all the time when the intervention actually might be a lot simpler and honestly, just a lot more affordable and not so out of reach. Right. I mean, so important. I mean, such a big one. What else, Kat? What are some other good ones? I wanted to piggyback off of that one. Um, the surgical intervention, like a tummy tuck is going to fix your dysfunction. Like the tummy tuck isn't going to fix your dysfunction. Like you will still have that underlying dysfunction because you don't know how to like work your core. So say you get that surgical intervention, you still might end up in pelvic floor therapy or, or therapy because now you have a prolapse because you can't manage your pressures. In other, in other words, it's almost like, it's like you have quite literally fixed something almost, almost external and not not actually, it's like deeper muscles that are really affected. So whatever you're doing is is just purely aesthetic and not actually fixing. It's not the root of the problem. Okay, what else? Any, any more from either of you that you've thought of, Luli or Kat? Any other myths that we should bust right here and now? This is my favorite thing to do just generally. So I feel like I, like I could do this all day. Yeah, the the same with surgery for the pelvic floor. So women being told that they need to have a bladder sling, some kind of surgical intervention to correct their leaking or to correct their prolapse, that no amount of physical therapy is going to recover is just not accurate. I mean, we see women who have significant prolapse 
leak. They, they can lose their whole bladder at Target, Jackie, and think like, oh, I'm, I'm a severe case. There's no way. And they can make gains. And a significant amount of these women have dry pants or a pain-free sex life or no pressure down into their pelvic floor area by the end of the day. Like they really do recover and they never had surgery. The first thing I want to ask both of you before before we start wrapping up is what are some of the resources, like what are some tools, some websites, some books, some basically anything that the would that coming from both of you, I think would be just so meaningful to hear like real recommendations about like resources that you trust, sources of information that, that you think are trustworthy. Where would you, where would you tell women to, to sort of start? I love connecting women to expert therapists that they can be in a room with. The directory that we are a part of that we support is pelvic guru. Dot com amazing pelvic physical therapist named Tracy share. So, so she has a directory there. Um, and then the company Herman and Wallace, they keep track of physical therapists who have trained with them and they do specialize in pelvic floor. So that's another good directory to go to. Um, it's two names, Herman and Wallace. And so those resources are amazing. Find an expert PT who, like Lily said, is actually a physical therapist and can see you and help you with your problems. Luli, what else? I love that. What else? So there, we also have an Instagram where we post tips all the time. So you can uh, reach out, like follow us on Instagram. Um, it's just painless pregnancy. We try to um, just like advocate and like make this a normal conversation, right? And I'm trying to think what else. There is a book called Come As You Are. That one I like. It's it's a good one. It talks a lot about like pelvic floor dysfunction, painful inner, like that kind of stuff. Um, and just to know you're not alone in some of these things that you might be feeling. Yes, I really, I feel like if anything, it, I mean, if nothing else, I feel like I've, I, I literally just learned so much in this time. And I appreciate you both so much for making this time. But also, also, I just think that that's the most important thing, right? These things, that the conversation is normal. Your personal discomfort isn't, and it doesn't always have to be. And and I just think we have like fully missed the mark on on, and when I say we, I mean, I mean more collectively, right? Like, like we've missed the mark on not talking about this more. It just feels like certain things don't have to be a certain way. And, and there's a, there is a better way and there are resources and things available that you can actually do to not put yourself through something traumatic. Luli, I also, I also wanted to ask you this before, and I just apologize for, for kind of jumping all around before, before I really do, I really will let you both go. But I, but to, to clarify something, cause I think our, our listeners who might be hearing this do not know this, but I think how amazing it is that you have, that you've had two, two other pregnancy that you've had, you have three kids. I mean, that is, so that was your first pregnancy. So can you, can, will you tell us, because I think a lot of people would go through what you went through and be like, I'm never doing that again. <laughs> right? Like you, you're finally mobile. And then you're like, wait, okay. So to, will you tell us, tell us, I feel like that's really inspiring. So just tell us, give us a little bit of info on that. Yeah. So I do have two other kids. I have three kids. I will say um, my, none of my children were planned. So let's say I'm a little irresponsible. <laughs> uh, I mean, I had a wonderful, I mean, obviously number one, I found a new, uh, 
OB. So that was like huge. I found a new doctor and I had a wonderful experience with my other two babies. Um, I learned so much. Um, I taught myself a lot. I, me and Kat went to courses. I dragged her to her first like obstetrics course for physical therapy. I mean, it was an amazing experience. Like my daughter, I didn't have epidurals with my other two because I didn't feel like it was right for me. Um, because I had that, that trauma that we were talking about. So like that not feeling my legs was not okay with me. Um, so I didn't, and I had like, it was great. Like my, my youngest son, I was working at the hospital where he was born. He came early and they had a baby shower planned for me. So I actually, he was born in the morning and in the afternoon, I walked down to my baby shower in the physical therapy department. So like, that's how great it was. So just because you bad experience doesn't mean that all your need to be bad. So well said. Okay. All right. So I promise, okay. In the spirit, in the spirit of letting you both go first, I would love to hear where we can find you. So you mentioned the Instagram painless pregnancy. It's just at painless pregnancy. Any, anywhere else that, that people should go your website, any other handles that where, where folks can follow you both? Yeah. So we do have a YouTube channel as well. Same painless pregnancy. Um, our website is painless-pregnancy.com. We do have, um, as far as resources, I forgot to mention, we have a video series. It's our birth prep series. And they can purchase that off of our website as well. And it's a a series of short educational slash group exercise classes slash meditation, all focused at connecting to your body with the aim of having a successful vaginal delivery. Amazing. Okay, Luli, I'm going to start with you. You know what's coming. You both know what's coming. And this, I will say, I'm going to, I am going to say that you, in fact, are going to space. You got to go tomorrow. You're going to space tomorrow. You're coming back, but like, you don't, we don't know how long it's going to take for you to find, discover a new planet. <laughs> we don't know. We can't, we can't say it. We can't say, but we, we know you're going. What is, what's going to be on the menu? Where are you going? Anywhere local? anywhere, maybe around the world, maybe across, maybe across the pond. I don't know. Where are we eating? Where are we going to eat? We are going to eat Indian food because it is my absolute favorite. Wow. Okay. What's the order? Oh my gosh. You're going to make me choose one. Can I I know? No, no, no. This is, yeah. Have it, have it all. In this fantasy world, I'm going to say that gravity doesn't totally, like we don't know the gravity situation. We know there probably isn't much. So like, you're not going to feel it. You can just have whatever you want. You're not going to feel full. All of it, all the curries. And I love Indian food. It's my absolute favorite. (laughs) I love that. I love that. I love that. Yum. Okay. Any dessert, any cocktail, anything else that we want to put in this mix. So yeah, lately I have been drinking bourbon, which is a new thing for me. Have some bourbon and dessert, anything with chocolate, I will take. That's beautiful. And also totally agree. Chocolate, bourbon. I don't know. I'm less, I'm less of an Indian food person, but I, I am convinced that it's only because I just haven't had, it's like, I need to go with someone that, that really knows their way around an Indian menu. Kat, what about you? What is, what's on our, our menu here? Girl, I am taking you to Cuban food. That is my personal favorite. I will get you a mojito. And oh my God. we'll share some ropa vieja, like soft, tender, fall apart meat is so dang good. Actually, Lily made that for me one time on my birthday. 
I just remember that. You guys are the best. Can I just say you guys are really the best? I love I love this so much. I've loved this interview so much, but also I just love how supportive like the this this is really like this is such a beautiful thing. Like re, this is real professional and personal support. This is what I love. Okay, keep going. I'm sorry. I interrupted the last <laughs> meal. It's like the most important thing. Okay. <laughs> uh, thank you for that. Yeah, um the flan. Oh. I was just talking about flan. You know, I tried to make it recently. Let me just say that homemade flan, and I'm sure, I'm sure that someone will come at me for this because it is perhaps an insulting thing to to say, which is that I, and but I don't, not insulting thing to say, insulting thing to do to a poor flan, which is what I did to it. it it's, it's, I just, I tried. It didn't, it didn't look much like a flan. It, it looked like a, a sauce that you wouldn't want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a good look. Okay, so we've got oh, fun. Awesome. And what about a? Oh, you said mojito. I was gonna say, what about a cocktail? Okay. Anything else? Anything else on the menu on the Cuban menu? Um, I'm I'm just a big flan, a fan of the platano. So those oh, sweet plants. Oh God, me too. Plans. Oh, they're so good. I could live. I could live on. That is okay. Now, what what would you say is the proper? Like, do we need a dip for those, or do we just we just go salt? We're just going just salt and roasting or or frying really and so i like the soft ones that are fried i don't put any dip on them but the, the hard ones those like chips yeah. they need yeah. a mojo sauce yeah i'm gonna have to have you both over to my mom's house because she makes the best ropa vieja and rice in the world and we do make a mean flan so we're gonna have to have an in-person reunion yeah. and my mom cook <laughs> i'm Anytime, so there i'm flying me. to my literally like when can i get down there meanwhile I can't thank you both enough for doing this and for being here. I appreciate it so much. And also I am so please apologize Lily to your mom for, for me butchering flan recipes at least twice. I mean, honestly, I, I just can't, I, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it a third time. I'd rather just come to her house and, and enjoy it with you both. Yeah, me too. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I cannot wait to, to have everyone follow you guys and hear more about what you're doing and use those resources, which I will link um, all of those into our episode notes so that people can easily access them. And thank you for being here. I really, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for having us. <laughs> Thanks so much for tuning in today to this episode of On the Side with Jackie London. If you enjoyed today's episode, please snap a screenshot of your podcast app on your phone, post it to your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jacqueline London RD to let me know your favorite takeaway from any part of the episode. If you're loving the show, if there's a topic you'd love to hear more about or a guest you'd love to listen to here, I'd absolutely love to hear from you. You can scroll down on your podcast app to where it says ratings and reviews and rate this one five stars, of course, and share your feedback. Your words might just be what the next person needs to tune in and start feeling more empowered and living better, one meal or snack at a time. Of course, be sure to follow On The Side wherever you get your podcasts to ensure you won't miss out on any episodes. And remember to check us out. Check out the Q&A deep dive on the On The Side YouTube channel. This show is produced and edited by Elizabeth Evans Media Productions. I'm your host and executive producer, Jacqueline London. Keep in mind that any advice provided on this podcast is based off of my clinical judgment and application of research and practice as a registered dietitian, and it should not take the place of medical advice from your own personal physician. Until next time, cheers.